Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lanz, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Job 1, 13-22, called When Your World Falls Apart. Go back to verse 6 of Job 1. Job 1, 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God, in the introduction we talked about those being angels, you can look at Genesis 6, 2, came to present themselves before the Lord in some formal way. And Satan, or the accuser, also came among them. Job 1, 7. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. Now later, Satan will be given in chapter 2. He'll be given by God the ability to touch Job directly, but not kill him. But in this first uh, interchange, he is uh, not allowed to touch Job, only what Job possesses, only the things that Satan had talked about, all these blessings. And so just check it one more time. All that he has is in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. And so Satan departed Seems like a quick exit from the presence of the Lord or there from his heavenly throne room, if you will. Now, on the day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their older brother, oldest brother's house, we'll pause there. There's another day now, and we're going to be introduced to Job's world falling apart. Uh, you've heard the old saying that life can turn on a dime, And that's certainly true. And it seems like, you know, you can be coasting along. Things can be good. Your life can be in good shape. And all of a sudden, you get that unexpected phone call. You could get that knock at the door. You could get, you know, all of a sudden a notice at work or, uh, you know, it could be an email. It could be something in the mail that comes your way. It could be that you are not feeling well and you've been putting off a doctor's visit, and all of a sudden you go to the doctor, and it sounds like it's something serious. And we all can live with these, you know, concerns that we have in a fallen and broken world of all those things. Life can turn on a dime. In the book of James, James says, Come now, you who say today and tomorrow we shall go to such and such a city and spend a year there, engage in business and make a profit. James 4.14 says, you do, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. Jesus said something similar in Matthew 6.33 and 34. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that you worry about will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow. 
Tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has what? Enough trouble of its own, right? Don't worry about tomorrow's trouble, Jesus says. Today's got enough, right? And there are some days that we have to admit that we pretty much coast through and there's no major happenings and things are good and life is good, but there's, there's days of trouble. And this is indeed Job's day of trouble. You could say Job's day of trouble has come. And I would say to you that, you know, for those of, of us who are jetting through life, whether you've been here for multiple decades or just a few, you're going to have days of trouble. Mama said there'd be days like this. <laughs> there'd be days like this, my mama said. Mama said, mama said. Anyway. It happens, right? Because we are in a fallen, broken world. And if our expectation is perfection, that we're never going to hit speed bumps, the boat's never going to rock, there's never going to be a leak, you know, in the boat, as it were, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment and failure because this life uh, is not going to be perfect and it's not going to be smooth sledding. That's why we've called this series The Problem of Evil and the Power of the Gospel. Because every time you are confronted with an evil, fallen world, we need to find our uh, place, our respite, our uh, refuge in the gospel of Jesus Christ in his face. As I, and I gave you some highlights where Job was even saying that he was confident that he was going to see his Redeemer. But Job's life is going to plummet from being the greatest man of the East, 1-4, to losing virtually everything. You could say from riches to rags, from great splendor to becoming a pauper. And as Satan received permission from the Lord, and the Lord allowed the hedge to be lowered, and we said that Luther said of Satan that ultimately Satan is God's Satan. It may not make perfect sense to us, but Satan is a fallen angel, and he can do nothing unless God first allows that. He is not God's equivalent on the evil side. He is a fallen angel, and we get an idea here that he regularly is reporting to God and that he is on a leash. And I can't tell you that I understand everything about even what happens to Job. And I know people who are atheists and agnostics who have read the book of Job think that somehow God was some sort of cosmic, you know, is he, is he a puppeteer and is Job simply on a chessboard and God's just moving the pieces to prove some point in heaven? I think it's much bigger than that. I think the story of Job is ultimately a story of redemption. And I'll tell you right now that Job is in heaven because God is the God of the living and not the God of the dead. Job has met his Redeemer face to face. And that was his hope on this planet. And that is his hope now as he sees him face to face. And that's our hope too. Satan is on a leash, but out he goes from the presence of the Lord with both barrels pointed at Job, guns blazing. See, Satan has a point that he wants to prove. And what's his point? That Job does not serve God because God is worthy of worship. He says to God, the only reason this man serves you, and by extension anybody else, is because of what you give him. You've blessed him. If you pull the blessings away, if you take them away, what does Satan say to God? He'll curse you. He'll curse you to your face. Now, curse in the idea of Hebrew is a strong idea. But it can have the idea of the mouth, the mouth speaking evil. And of course, we know people 
curse God every day for much less things than Job goes through. But that's Satan's uh, perspective on the followers of God, if you will. Satan was allowed to get at everything that Job had, including his possessions and his family, but he was not allowed to touch Job himself. himself. You might want to write down 1 John 5.18, where it says, it's talking about the child of God there, and it says that the evil one cannot touch him. What I would like you to understand is that you don't have to live in fear of Satan or what might happen or see an evil spirit behind every tree. That's not the proper perspective. God is omniscient. God is all-powerful. God is sovereign. God is going to see you all the way home. But God works out his plans in the heavenlies and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts and his ways are higher than my ways. Because God's ways have more to do with eternity than they do with time. God knows that this world is ebbing away. He knows that there's a date when he has, he has fixed on his calendar when he will judge the world in righteousness. He's doing things in light of eternity. And again, I'll tell you, as someone who's studying the Bible and trying to know God better and better each day, I don't understand all of it, but this is what the Word of God tells me. Now, one day, the NIV says, verse 13, when Job's sons and his daughters, remember he had seven sons and three daughters, he was a blessed man, were eating and drinking wine in their older, oldest brother's house. Now, you could call this scene three, and scene three ap- uh, opens with these words in the NIV, one day, or now it happened on the day. So this is a new day, and as we've seen in, earlier in the text, This family seemed to get together at every harvest celebration or birthdays, and they like to spend time together. And it reminds me of an Italian family. They got together, they celebrated, they laughed, they had a good time. And they happened to be in the oldest brother's home at this time. And the author is setting up, he's setting the stage for the calamity that's going to happen. It's the fourth and final woe, if you will, that will happen to Job on this day. And it has to do with his children. And all of them together in one place. But we'll save that for right now. But that is why it's introduced. It's preparing us for the final devastating calamity. Job's children are together. They're happy. They're celebrating. But at this time, when everything seems to be going well in Job's life, a picture of joyful, serene, a serene day in the life of Job and his family. Job's probably at home. Remember, he has many servants. He has a lot of things going on. So people probably come and report to him quite often. The camels are over here. They're plowing the oxen over there. Uh, Your children are over here. Job's probably pushing some paper, and he's got a lot going on. He's pro- he probably knows, I'm sure he does, that his children are together in the eldest home. But maybe he said, I'll, I'll meet you guys later. I've got a lot of work to do. I don't know all the de- details, but they're there and Job is in his home. And all of a sudden, the knock at the door, verse 14, a messenger came to Job and said these words. The oxen were plowing, the donkeys feeding beside them. It was a normal day. Oxen plowing is preparing the fields for a new harvest. So scholars would believe that this is early winter. The donkeys would bring in the previous harvest into the barn, and they would bring the things to plow the field and do bring you know the implements and so forth. So they were hardworking. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. 
Producer Rob Newton here, and on behalf of Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth team, thank you so much to our financial and prayer partners. Whether you have given a one-time donation or you have become a monthly partner, you have contributed to our mission to reach out with God's truth to all people and helping listeners like you apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You've heard that before, right? Well, we mean it. Thanks to our financial partners, we have added three new radio stations this year. Our prayer is to bless our new listeners the way we have hopefully been a blessing to you. If you're a long-time listener, would you please consider becoming a $5 a month partner? That may not seem like much, but every little bit makes it possible for us to continue our broadcasts, podcasts, and free apologetic events. Please become a partner giving at least $5 a month. Visit walkintruth.com to donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. Oxen plowing is preparing the fields for a new harvest, so scholars would believe that this is early winter. The donkeys would bring in the previous harvest into the barn, and they would bring the things to plow the field and do, bring you know, the implements and so forth. So they were hardworking. And the oxen, of course, were used for plowing the field. So the harvest has come in. That's probably why the children are celebrating. And it gives us evidence that maybe it's not birthdays, birthdays that they're celebrating, but harvest celebrations. Each time a harvest came in, it was a benefit to you and your family in an agrarian society and so forth. So they were celebrating God's blessings and all of that. The oxen are preparing the field for the new planting and sowing, and the donkeys are there uh, eating beside the oxen. It started like any other day, a normal day, a serene day, a happy day, kind of like 9-11. I remember on September 11th, uh, 2001, I was at a Bible study at a local restaurant here in the city of Corona. We were uh, in the middle of that Bible study. We were going through a book of the Bible. We had eight or ten guys around the table. It was early in the morning. And all of a sudden, one of our guys looked up, and there was a television behind us, and there was smoke coming from the, the, one of the towers. And all of a sudden, you know, turn it up, what's going on? And, you know, the information was coming in little by little. And all of a sudden, we learned of a terrorist attack on New York. Now, you guys know in the years that have gone by since that occurred, the number of stories that have been told. Some people who were supposed to be at work in those buildings that day, and something happened, and they were called in sick, or some change of plans, and other people who were trapped in those buildings, and they got out, and somebody saved them and led them away, and then other people, sadly, tragically, who perished in the flame. First responders, people who ended up jumping from the tower to escape the heat of the flames. Just disaster. Remember the pictures of the soot on people's clothing and the terror in people's eyes as they were just trying to figure out what has happened here. Where did this come from? Was this an accident? Was it on purpose? You know, when something happens like this, you're just in the middle of a normal day and all of a sudden a traumatic event occurs One of the first things that you try to do is figure out why and what's happened and what are the details and how do I respond to such a moment. But it was anything than a normal day for Job as we see the knock on the door comes and the word is the 
Sabians or the Sabians attacked and took them. And we can see that the reference in verse 14 is to the oxen and the donkeys who were feeding. These Sabians attacked and took them. They, they came on to Job's property and they also slew the servants who were associated with these animals. Notice with the edge of the sword and this particular messenger or servant says, and I alone have escaped to tell you. An ashen-faced servant has come from the farm. There's a sudden, unexpected terrorist attack. Violence and bloodshed. Devastation. Servants who have been slain with the sword. Animals that are really uh, Job's livelihood that have been stolen from him. The bubble is burst. Job's hedge of protection is down. If you've ever uh, felt compromised uh, maybe you've had a car broken into, or some of you have had your homes broken into. Some of you have heard about home invasion situations where it's just frightening, and all of a sudden, you're, it's a normal day, and someone, you know, crosses a line, and the hedge comes down, and the bubble is burst, and, you know, people were talking about after 9-11, you know, the America's bubble has burst. We've, we've been blessed for so long. We've been hit on our own soil so many concerns, so many worries, rallies for America. I was part of a rally for America in the park, Santana Park, 2001, right after 9-11. Must have been 5,000 people out in that park. And uh, people were looking for answers, and they, the, it was organized by some people in the city, and they asked a couple pastors to be there, and I was one of them by God's providence. And I will tell you that uh, the pastor that got up before me who spoke to this large crowd and was responsible according to his ordination vows to uphold the word of God and to preach the gospel with compassion but with truth did not do that. In fact, I would tell you that he compromised his ordination vows and compromised the gospel in front of 5,000 people. And I was heartbroken and I, I remember sitting in the grass that day and a member of our church at that time after this pastor said some words that I will tell you were outright heresy, a false gospel. He pulled on my shirt and said, that'll preach. And I went, well, here we go because I'll tell you what I, I was praying that week and you know what God gave me? John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, giving hope of heaven, but then ending the section with, and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one's coming to the Father except through me. Well, there I went up to the podium, and God had given me a message, and I spoke it. I tried to speak with compassion but clarity, and I said these words, and I'm not the first to say them. America needs to come back to God. Amen. Well, when I stepped down from the podium, my wife and I decided, we're, we're out of here, we're going home. And we, we began to walk towards our car, and two very large individuals approached us. And I was like, uh-oh, here it goes. Get behind me, honey. <laughs> and these two men looked at me, and I didn't know who they were, at the, and I've since developed a relationship with both of them. But one of the men looked at me and said, can I shake your hand? And I said, sure you can. And he gave me one of those handshakes and looked me in the eye and said, you didn't tell those people today what they wanted to hear, but you told them what they needed to hear. Amen. And I still believe today 
that if America is going to come back to what God wants us to be, it's going to be because we come back to God. Amen? Amen. Now, when we begin to look at the things that were taken from Job, if you look at verse 3 of chapter 1, Job's possessions are named for us there, enunciated. Job 1.3 has 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. So in the first raid, humanly, you know, it's, it's through a human band of Sabians, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys appear to be taken in totality. It doesn't say that, but that seems to be the implication. The Sabians, if you wondered, were nomadic raiders from Sheba. They hailed from the southwest west corner of Arabia, which is present-day Yemen. So they came from the south. They uh, attacked. Job's animals were taken. Job's servants were killed. You know, in a master-servant relationship, the servants of this time would be like employees. And so I'm sure Job had personal relationships with many of them. I'm sure there was a love there. I'm sure that Job began to think about how am I going to explain this uh, to family members. He probably began to uh, imagine conversations and picture faces and try to think about how do, you, how do we deal with this? How do we move on? Maybe even begin to formulate a plan on how to respond. But while that servant was still telling of what happened, another came also. The idea is one on top of the other or one who comes in to interrupt the other's tragic tale. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, here's a natural disaster. You call this, insurance companies call this an act of God. You've been listening to When Your World Falls Apart, part one on Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael's teaching in Job chapter 1, verses 13 through 22. Remember, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, the Living Truth app is a great way to stay up to date with what we're doing here at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, Bible studies, family events, and of course, worship services. If you're out of the area, the LT app has a lot for you too. You can watch and listen to Pastor Michael's latest teachings. Download the Living Truth app in your app store. The Living Truth app is the one with the red logo and the pillars. Now, here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, what do you do when your world falls apart? It's a good question. And sometimes we might feel like, you know, am I living my life having to look over my shoulder and thinking that everything I built one day will be stripped away? Well, in one sense, I have to tell you, my friend, you're going to leave your stuff to somebody else. (laughs) That's what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. And He says, it's a bummer, man. I I built all this stuff. I built this great kingdom, building projects and the like, and I'm going to leave it to somebody else, and I don't know how well they're going to take care of it. And that is a bummer. But the reality is, is that that shows us that life and stuff is all temporal. And this is why we keep our eye on what's eternal. We treasure what we have, no doubt. We're You know, as Americans, we're so blessed and many of us, you know, have a a home and a couple of cars and we have things, but those things should not have us. And so don't live your life in fear. Like, you know, one day I'm going to lose everything. No, one day you're going to gain heaven as a believer. And if you're not a believer, I would be more concerned, of course, for my stuff. But if you're a believer, you're going to gain heaven 
and you want to just take care of what God's put you as a steward over until that day. And that's a good way to think of it. It's where I'm heading, not necessarily what I'm losing. Because those people, everyone in Christ will be with me one day in heaven. And that's why heaven is so precious. Folks, I, I'm going to head from this recording session to a memorial service. And if I had nothing to say about the hope of heaven, I don't know what I would say. But heaven is real. Jesus said there's a heaven. And that's why, even in the book of Job, we can look towards that reality of redemption and everything being made right again because of the greater Job, Jesus Christ. Well, hey, speaking of going through tough times, we have a grief share class that happens at Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's Tuesday night, 7 p.m. at the church, 1009 Arsenal Way in Corona, right off the 91 Freeway and Lincoln Avenue. And hey, if you're going through a season of grief and you need someone, a group to sit with, to you know, hear some teaching about how you can, uh, with a little bit of direction, walk through that, we would love to have you. Download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app in your app store today. You can find out more information about the class, or you can call 844-48-TRUTH, and we'd love to answer your questions. 844-48-TRUTH. This is Pastor Michael. We'll see you right here tomorrow. One more reminder that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported program. Thanks to listeners and church partners like you, we're now on three more radio stations, so praise God. If you're a longtime listener, please consider becoming a monthly partner of at least $5 a month. Visit walkintruth.com to donate or call 844-48-TRUTH. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's message in Job 1, 13 through 22, called When Your World Falls Apart. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.